Well, good morning. Let's, um, let's pray. Let's just thank the Lord for what he's done for us, shall we? Father, um, we are uh, reminded that while we were yet sinners, uh, Jesus died for us. He took our place. And um, we have just remembered and have sung about and expressed worship to you that um, uh, we do not deserve your kindness and grace. Our sins, though they were many, your mercy and your kindness and your grace was uh, just overpowering. Um, exceeding abundantly beyond that we could ever ask or think. Um, so we're grateful, Lord. As we open up your word, I do pray, Lord, that you will um, direct our time and that you will uh, open our hearts to um, hear from you and uh, be encouraged by your word today. We'll give you glory and praise for what you'll do in our hearts and our lives and um, as we encounter you today, as we engage with you, in Christ's name I pray, amen. amen. If there's one word that uh, would most often, I think, describe the people of Afghanistan these days, it's the word hopelessness. Boy, isn't that the truth? One man just recently wrote from Afghanistan, he said, people like me, they are hopeless, he said. They're not thinking of a better future. They just lost hope. Another young man who was left in Kabul said this, I've spent all my life in war. Bomb blasts, killings, this is all I've seen. I've never enjoyed life, but I've studied hard. I have great scores. I wanted to have a future, but there's, there's nothing left for me now, he said. I die a little every day in fear, in stress, and in depression. I heard uh, one American Afghani in California put it this way, it's the death of all hope. When you build hope for millions of women and then overnight it's taken away. And not just take away hope, but you, you subjugate them, you shroud them, you put them behind walls, behind doors, there's nothing worse than that. That's worse than death. It's the death of all hope. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. It's a, it's a word that gives you kind of a sinking feeling in your pit of your gut. It's, it's looking at present realities and realizing that because of present realities, um, the, the future of sorrow and sadness and chaos is guaranteed. Present realities guarantee future sorrow, future sadness. It's guaranteed because um, there's no way out. It's hopeless. If you stop to think about it, though, there's really no reason why any human being living on this earth should be anything but hopeless. For the future is not only just bleak, it's hellish 
for anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. There is no hope. Um, now, there are plenty present realities that can uh, guarantee um, uh, a, 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 a little bit of temporal future um, joy. Um, the birth of a, of a baby. I talked with two families this week um, that um, both had little babies born into their family. Um, grandchildren, and for some it was their first child being born. Um, that present reality brought some joy. The present reality maybe of, uh, of a growing investment portfolio or the thought of a vacation at the beach. Two of our kids and their families got together this week at Nagshead, and, and all the little cousins were anticipating being together at the beach this week. It was short-lived because they came home yesterday. <laughs> um, some present realities can uh, encourage and enjoin within us a certain amount of joy, a moment of happiness, but in the ultimate sense, in the ultimate sense of reality, it's a very bleak future. It's a very hellish future if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The Apostle Paul made a very important observation in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. He was talking about Gentiles telling them, remember that you Gentiles were at that time separate from Christ, the Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, and having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope and without God in the world. Jesus had an encounter with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Remember the story, the woman at the well? Samaritans. Um, despised by the Jews. We saw that last week in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he made this statement. He said, um, salvation is of the Jews. And indeed, in the Old Testament, there was no hope of salvation apart from Judaism until Jesus Christ came. And when Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose again, what we celebrated in the Lord's table now, what we were... Um, together witnessing of the good news, the gospel, Jesus died and he rose again, that opened the door for eternal hope for anyone in this world who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes on in Ephesians 2 and he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, you who formerly had no hope, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Eternal hope is offered to anyone. Jew, Gentile, makes no difference. It's offered to anyone who puts their faith in Christ and Christ alone. Now, take your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We are about to wrap up our study of Romans. In fact, I think this passage is probably the conclusion to the main body of Paul's teaching on the book of Romans, um, the passage we're going to look at this morning. He'll wrap up with some greetings and some uh, uh, salutations to beloved friends of his, but I think the body of the letter 
finishes up with what we're going to read today. Romans 15, starting in verse 8. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And, verse 9, for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. In the Roman church, there was this conflict we've seen throughout our study of Romans, the, the Jews, the, the Gentiles. I mean, it was always this ethnic conflict in the early church. Um, you have to be like a Jew, the Jews said. No, we want nothing to do with Judaism. We're free of that, the Gentiles said. And there was this conflict, and Paul addresses that in this section of Romans, starting in chapter 12, the practical section of the book. He's been emphasizing that, the, the unity that we have, maintain it, the oneness that is ours in Christ, and do it with love. Let your love be real. Let it be genuine. Let it be unhypocritical. Love one another deeply and sincerely, so we can glorify God together, Jew and Gentile. And it's all summed up, he said here in verse 8 and 9. Jesus was the minister. He was the servant to the Jews because he fulfilled the promises that were laid out in the Old Testament. He fulfilled that. He ministered to the Jews, to the circumcision. He was the Messiah who came. And to the Gentiles because of his work on the cross. He goes on and he quotes some Old Testament scripture to that end, as it is written. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Verse 10, again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples please him, or praise him. And verse 12, again Isaiah says, and it quotes from Isaiah 11, There shall come the, the root of Jesse. And he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles find their hope, have hope. Notice the progression of thought in these verses, in the Old Testament verses, as Paul weaves them together. There in verse 9, he talks about uh, here the Jewish king David. Uh, he gives praise to God among the Gentiles. The Jewish king, I will give praise among the Gentiles. But it moves forward in verse 10. Rejoice, O Gentiles. And now the Gentiles are invited to praise God. And it continues that thought. Praise the Lord, verse 11. All the Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. So it's, it's broadened out. King David the Jew says, I'm going to praise God among the Gentiles. And then there's the invitation, praise God, you Gentiles. And now all peoples praise God. And it builds in crescendos to verse 12 that says, from Isaiah, again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles find their hope. The Gentiles are to praise God because ultimately they will be ruled by the Messiah. And, and throughout these, this passage, there's this... Um, this, this future eschatological uh, hope, this quote from Isaiah chapter 11 is significant. A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. A branch from its roots will bear fruit, and the Spirit of God will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and strength, of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He'll delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what he sees, nor make decisions by what he hears. 
But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness the afflicted of the earth. Someone's coming. The root of Jesse, the Messiah, Christ, is going to come. And he's going to rule with righteousness, and he's going to judge with equity and with fairness, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt about his loins, faithfulness the belt about his waist, and the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling will all be together, and a child, a little child, will lead them. This is a day that is coming. It's this hope that one day God is going to take the mess of this world and he's going to put it all back together again. And righteousness and justice and equity, it's a big term that's being used today, and people have no idea what equity is all about. Because if you don't have God in the picture, there is no equity. There is no equality. But one day the Messiah is going to come. And in the fulfillment of the promises, all those promises of the Old Testament, he will serve the Jewish people as the Messiah, and the Gentiles will come and rejoice and be ruled by him. A day is coming. A day is coming. In a world where hopelessness never ends, there is an endless hope in a person, and his name is Jesus. Now, verse 13 kind of wraps all this up. I think it's a conclusion of the, the main part of all of uh, the, the teaching of Romans. It sums it all up when he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Four things to bring out in this little verse. We're told what, what the source of hope is. Now, may the God of hope, God is the source of hope. There is hope in nothing else but in a relationship with the living God. Now, and, and it's, it's wrapped up in the character of who God is. God is the God of hope simply because he is God. He's the, he is the transcendent God who is sovereign in all his ways, who's fulfilling the counsel of his will, who has ordained the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Nothing slips through his divine sovereign plan. He is the Lord of all, the King of kings, transcendent in glory, the Holy One who dwells in unapproachable light, full of purity and righteousness, all-consuming power, and yet he's very imminent, he's very real, he's, very, he's a present help in time of need to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. So everything that makes God God makes him a God of hope. If anything of the character of God was less than perfection, we would have no hope. There is only hope because of the character of who God is. And that's because then his word is true. When this kind of a God speaks this way, you can count on it. The Messiah is coming again, and he will rule over the Gentiles, and they will rejoice and praise him. One day, there will be people from Afghanistan 
who will experience peace and joy. There will be people in, in the dark recesses of communist China, in some back alley of, of New York City, or in some penthouse high structure in L.A. It doesn't matter. They will experience peace and righteousness when Messiah comes to rule. That's hope because his word is true, because he's God. And how do we know that? What, what's, what sums all that up? It's called the gospel. It's called the good news. We have something historically that we go back to. It's what we've celebrated in the Lord's table this morning. It all centers on this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How do we know he so loved? How do we know he was sovereign to fulfill his plan? Because Jesus stepped down from the throne of glory. He became humanity. And he took our sin upon himself and he died in our place. And he was raised again to life. The good news of the gospel. God so loved, his son came and died. And because God is omnipotently sovereign and all-powerful, almighty, Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. He paid the perfect price and he's alive today. Hope is found in the gospel, which is just a, the summation of the character of God. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's kind of the negative way of saying it, but I think this passage is familiar. Paul wrote, for if the dead are not raised, then, well, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep, who have died in Christ, well, they're, they're, they're perished. And then he says in verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. See, what awaits us tomorrow is grounded and rooted in the past, in the gospel. Jesus died and he rose again. God is the God of hope because of the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, that we remembered and celebrated today. And that's why, you know, we... We, we have to sometimes guard against the complacency of participating in the Lord's table. Oh, it's the first of the month. We do it and you know, take the wafer and take the juice and, you know, hocus pocus, dominocus, and we're done, right? No, we're celebrating the central fact of why the world has hope. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died. He rose again. He's alive. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then alone is my hope and my stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. There's no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Hope for tomorrow is not found in our savings account. It's not found in the, the, our, the, the good report we had about our health. Hope is not found in our family and our friends. It's certainly not found in inept governments. 
Our hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. All of the ground is sinking sand. John Bunyan, who is remembered as the author of the second most read and distributed book, they say, in the world, The Pilgrim's Progress, the first being the Bible, John Bunyan wrote 57 other works besides uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. In 1678, he wrote a little book that he entitled, Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. And he focused on one, one little verse in John chapter 6, verse 37. He who comes to me, I will in no wise, it's your King James Version, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And he wrote a whole book. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And he wrote this in one paragraph. But, but I'm a great sinner, sayest thou. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But, but I'm an old sinner, sayest thou. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, sayest thou. But I will no wise cast out, says Christ. But, but I'm a backsliding sinner, sayest thou. But I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But, but I have served Satan all my life, sayest thou. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I've sinned against light, sayest thou but I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I've sinned against mercy, says thou. But I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, sayest thou. But I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. That is hope. And there is no hope in this world apart from understanding that a sovereign God is fulfilling his plans and it's on a perfect timetable and he's going to return one day and he's going to set up righteousness and just, justice on this earth and he's going to fulfill the, the promises to the Jewish people of the Old Testament and the Gentiles are going to come and they're going to worship and be ruled by the Messiah. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard with the young kid. A child will lead them, and there will be peace on earth. That's our hope. It's a conviction that this God of hope is fulfilling this sovereign plan according to his sovereign timetable out of his love and grace and mercy. What's the source of hope? A sovereign God, the God of hope. But he then talks about what the results of this hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Wonderful two words, aren't they? Joy and peace. Two words that have nothing to do with present realities. And that's why the God of hope can fill us in the midst of uh, very unpleasant present realities, we could still experience his hope 
lived out in joy and peace. Joy being that, that deep-seated inner, inner delight and, and, and contentment of knowing God is God. It's, it's a deep joy. Even while the tears flow, even while very unhappy circumstances happen in life, there is joy, deep-seated contentment, confidence because of our relationship with God. And peace, very similar. A peace that passes all understanding. A sense of inner tranquility, of inner serenity because we know that God is God, that he's in charge. That's where hope comes from and it flows into us with joy and peace, regardless of the outwork of circumstances, regardless of the present realities. How does such joy and peace become a reality in our day-to-day existence? It's a prayer for Christians in Afghanistan and Christians in, in Nigeria and Christians in China, Christians here in the United States of America, is that we will experience joy and peace. How does it become a reality? The last little phrase says, in believing, the means of hope, the means of hope is that we trust what God has said. It is as we walk by faith that we trust the Lord in all the circumstances of life that life and joy become that reality in our life because we're, we're filled with hope. And we're filled with hope because it comes from the source of a sovereign God whose word is always true. And to the degree that we have intimacy with this God, that there's a personal relationship with this God, a personal growing intimacy with this God, not a stranger to us, not someone to give a head nod to on on the Lord's Day once a week for an hour, someone that we're vitally connected with in a relationship, a personal relationship, as we say, not a religion, but a relationship. We realize there's ultimate hope. And joy and peace become a reality as we believe that what God has said is true. We take God simply at his word. God said it, that settles it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said it, that settles it. I'm coming again. And glory and power, he said it, that settles it. I love you eternally. He said it, that settles it. The means of hope is when we appropriate through our faith the truth of God's Word. It's connected by our faith. We experience what God has for us, but it doesn't end there. It talks about the abundance of hope, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The NIV says that Hope will be overflowing. You'll experience the overflowing abundance of hope. Starting next week, for a few weeks, we're going to do a little focus on this idea of overflowing, that out of the riches of Christ, we are to overflow to one another. We're going to kind of continue to build on these themes of this body, life, and, and one another as we overflow with who God is in our life. We can abound in hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. It has often been said that there are no hopeless situations in the world for a Christian. 
there are only Christians who have grown hopeless in the midst of a situation. And it's why? Well, we've taken our eyes off the God of hope. We have seen the situations of life become so overpowering that fear grips us. And our eyes be, are focused on, on that and we, we lose sight of, of who He is. There can be an abundance of hope. It's a cause and effect. We put our trust in the God of hope. He fills us with joy and peace. We experience joy and peace. We abound in hope. It's like a wonderful uh, mysterious bank account. The more you take out of it, the more it gets put in. And we experience his, his hope. We trust him. We, we're, we're drawing upon that account and joy and peace enter our account and we experience it. And, and, and now God supplies an abundance of hope. And, and it, it's a, this wonderful, spiritual, cyclical thing that takes place. We trust him. He pours into our life. We experience greater more of God. He pours more into our life. And it's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we generate. It's not a little pill we can take. It's not so many hours of Bible study in a week. It's not even found in the disciplines of, the, of, of spiritual disciplines of our, of our walk. It's found when the Spirit of God grants this to us, the abundance of hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's when we begin to live out the tragedies of life on a higher, different plane. The tragedies will be there. Jesus said, you know, the world is going to have tribulation. The Christian life, God never promised the Christian life was going to be free of errors. We know that, free of problems. We know that. But he does promise that joy and peace and abundance of hope, lasting hope, can be ours. This is how Paul concludes the, the, the main bulk of his epistle. He's just simply reminding his leaders that for the Christian, there is hope. Life can be lived to the fullness of hope and the assurance that the God of hope will fill us with all joy and peace as we trust him and that we can actually abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I don't know what, I mean, what, what, what more is there to live for? Carl Henry, a great evangelical theologian in his day, once said of Jesus that he planted the only durable rumor of hope amid the widespread despair of a hopeless world. Only Jesus provides hope amid the widespread hopelessness, despair of this world. That's what our neighbors need. That's what our co-workers need. That's what this nation needs. That's what this world needs. In November, we're going to just transition a little bit and talk about how we can overflow in, in terms of how we can impart this hope to a world that does not have hope. Our calling as believers in Jesus Christ um, these are great times to live. Great opportunities to share the love of Christ. 
So many conversations are going on today about the pandemic and, and death and fear and resurgences and deltas and who knows what else that are happening. So much fear going on because of an inept government. It's scary, a financial system that is, is sketchy. I, someone just sent me the other day something about... Uh, um, um, I'm sharing this off the top of my head, but it's, it's a, it's a uh, something that, a sunspot that something has erupted on the sun and, and the, the potential havoc that could be wrecked uh, in our whole internet systems. It could be shut down for weeks. I don't know if you've read that. What's yeah, another opportunity to be fearful? <laughs> oh, I can give you a whole bunch of things why you should have no hope. The internet is full of it. You know, that might be a good idea to shut that thing down. Never thought of that. Maybe that's our answer. People are gripped with hopelessness. But there is a God of hope who can fill people's life with joy and peace if they just believe him. And there's a whole body of Christ out there that is gripped in fear and hopelessness because they're not believing Jesus. And he'll fill us to abundance of hope through the power of his Holy Spirit. It's not something we can contrive ourselves. It's something that will happen to us as we trust him. That's how Paul ends this epistle. It's so fitting because Paul said at the very beginning of his epistle in, in chapter 1, he said, I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed, he said, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going to come to Rome. I'm going I'm to preach the gospel in Rome because I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and he rose again, that he's the hope of the world. I'm not ashamed of that. I'll come into the midst of the most powerful uh, city on the nation, uh, among the nations of the world, Rome, and I'll preach the good news about a God of hope. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to deliver us. Delivers ultimately from God himself. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And in this epistle to the Romans, he's told us that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is good news. And the good news is that God has given us his righteousness as a gift. He has exchanged our sinfulness, which was placed on his son, and he took his son's righteousness and placed it to our account, and he saw the righteousness of his son, and he declared us to be right for all of eternity in his eyes. He acquitted us of all crimes. We have the hope of justification. That was Romans chapter 1 through 5. But not only that, he implanted within us his very spirit, his very presence, we exchange an old identity of the old Adam nature, that old man, and he's given us a new nature in Christ. We don't have to do the things we once did because we're not the people we once were. We have a whole new identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can experience the abundance of the spirit life within us. We no longer have to be caught in the, the clutches of our flesh 
like Paul described in Romans 7, the good I want to do, I don't do. I hate the very things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this, this, this earth suit of sin? Oh, thanks be to God. There's a God of hope. And so chapter 8, verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hope. It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we find deliverance from God's wrath which is against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. And we have hope that we are eternally and forever loved. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Tribulation, distress, trials, anything, life, death. I am convinced, says Paul, that nothing separates us from the love of God. That's hope. That's hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through that good news, Paul says we can experience joy and, and peace and, and abundance of hope as we express our, our Christ-defined love to one another and to the world. There's hope. That's good news today, folks. Do you know? Have you personally experienced this hope in Jesus? I'm assuming most everybody here has put their trust in Christ at some point in your life, but maybe there's one person here this morning who's yet to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, you've come to church. You grew up in a Christian family. You might have even been baptized. You've given 20% of your income to the Lord over the last 10 years. But that does not a Christian make. That does not a born-again believer make. You see, God offers a free gift that has to be received by faith. You do nothing but believe that Jesus died, paid for your sins, he rose again, and he's the giver of this eternal life. And when we transfer our trust off of ourselves, off of our religion, onto Christ and Christ alone, in that moment of faith, we receive eternal hope. It's a free gift. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Have you put your faith in Christ and Christ alone? And are you experiencing his joy and peace as you walking by faith? Are you experiencing the abundance of hope? You see, the world offers a hopeless end, and Jesus offers endless hope. And I think the Apostle Paul would tell the church here at Fellowship Bible Church, oh, come on, let's live like it. We are of all people most to be envied because he rose. We have hope. We have a relationship with the God of hope. So get out of these chairs, go out in the world, Enjoy life and be filled with hope. That's what Romans is about. All because of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your kindness and grace in giving us your Son. We have remembered this morning the great sacrifice that he paid so that we could receive freely the gift of your presence, of, of joy, of endless peace and hope of love ultimately of eternal life that we can experience a world one day of, of righteousness and equity and, and peace, shalom 
that's coming. We of all people are filled with hope. May we, like Paul calls the Gentiles in Romans 15, may we rejoice in our hope and proclaim it to a world that has none. I pray this for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.